Matthew chapter 5, and we'll be looking tonight at verses 13 through 16. So as is our habit, I'm going to pray, I'm going to read the passage and I'll pray for us, and we'll consider what the Lord has for us in this passage of scripture. So Matthew chapter 5, the big 5, the small 13, it says this, you are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all in the house. In that same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Let's pray. Oh, Father, um, draw our hearts close to you. Lord, thank you for, for your word, Lord. You, you speak to us. God, you, aren't, you are not silent. You do not want us guessing about who you are and what you have called us to do. And, and more than that, Lord, you reveal to us the salvation that is in Christ. So, Father, thank you again that we can come around this word Pray, Lord, that these words would reflect truth, reflect you, and that we'd be better for it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. When I was in the fifth grade, I really, really liked the boy band NSYNC. NSYNC. For that very comment, it was the reason why I was even scared to share that. <laughs> and it's just as hard to say it now um, as it was in the fifth grade. Matter of fact, um, I know that the term is a rather pejorative term now, uh, but I was a closet lover of NSYNC. I literally had a poster of NSYNC in my closet <laughs> so that people would not know that I liked NSYNC. Matter of fact, my mom had to like swear my older brother to secrecy that he wouldn't tell my friends that I liked in sync, right? Um, I just fell in love with them watching the Disney Channel, right? I thought Justin, Justin Timberlake was awesome. And now my wife and I will sometimes, you know, we're being in a silly mood, throw on in sync and kind of, you know, um, goof about it, you know, and of course the, the world's best meme in the world is comes out April 30th, right, with Justin Timberlake, a picture, and it says, it's gonna be May, right? <laughs> He's saying me, but he says it in such a way where it looks, it sounds like May. So every time May is about to approach, we always come in the kitchen, it's gonna be May, you know. Um, but I was, I was for, for a long time, I was really afraid of what people thought of me, and so I kept it very private that I didn't sync, right? Um, I... Didn't tell anyone that I saved my allowance to buy their first CD. I, I, I just made sure that if the conversation of Backstreet Boys or NSYNC came up, I just was silent, you know. Um, I share that illustration because I think in the same way, um, not that we are maybe afraid uh, of, of sharing our faith or living for Jesus, but, but there is a sense in which a lot of times there's this misunderstanding that the Christian life is just the kind of things that I do and that I talk about 
when I'm by myself or maybe when I'm at youth group or maybe, you know, my parents kind of ask me about it every once in a while. But for the most part, my outward showing of, of being a believer or being a, a person who lives in the kingdom of God is very much more a private undertaking than it is a public one. Matter of fact, um, if you go to China, right, they will tell you, oh, you have the freedom to worship. You have the freedom to worship. If you want to go in that building over there and sing your kumbaya and your little songs, that's great. Go for it. But when you come out to the public square and to the market, you keep all your religions up to yourself. So there's a big difference between the freedom of worship and the freedom of religion because the freedom of religion says that your faith can impact how you decide to parent your kids, the type of education you want to get, how you're going to practice business. And a lot of countries, they want you to think like, okay, yeah, if you want to worship that Jesus guy and you think he's God, sure, go to that building, do your thing, read your stuff. The second you come out here though, I want none of it. And whether we're being forced to, or whether we choose to, Jesus is instructing us here about his kingdom. As a matter of fact, these little verses that we just read are directly playing off of the eight Beatitudes that we have looked at. As a matter of fact, that they work so entwined that in essence what Jesus is saying is that for the person who is poor in spirit, for the person who mourns over sin and who is meek and has an appetite for, for righteousness and for the person who is, who is pure, for the person who is persecuted for righteousness sake, all of these things work together in such a way that you are visible to the world. That it is impossible to demonstrate the norms of the kingdom of God and not for it to be visible. It's impossible to follow Jesus and for it to not have a public faith. But yet so many times we want to just keep all of our thoughts and our religion and our Jesus stuff away. Away from any ridicule, away from any persecution, away from anyone just knowing in general. And so these are just a couple of verses, right? 13 through 16. And here, here's the one point that I think Jesus is, if I can summarize what Jesus is saying here, here's the one point I would give you. We must follow Jesus in a way that is noticeable by the world. You must follow Jesus in such a way that people notice how you live. It's actually pretty sad reading the statistics of how undifferent Christians in America are compared to the world. Similar, if not higher, pornography usage. Similar, if not higher, entertainment, speech. It's kind of just depressing how little professing Christians actually look different in the world. But Jesus is teaching this. We must 
follow him in such a way that is actually noticeable. It's actually noticeable. And he does this by showing us two pictures of what a Christian looks like in the world. He's like, that's the take. Two, two pictures of what a, a life in the kingdom should look like in the world. Two ways to be noticeably different than the rest of the world. And so for, for you, that, that means that Jesus is giving you two noticeable, tangible things of how your faith, of you being a citizen of the kingdom of God, should be different than the rest of the world. And like I said, it's two pictures. And the first picture is, is this, salt. The first noticeable way someone who follows Jesus as king is that they are the salt of the earth. Look at verse 13. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? Now, I understand that for us, typically, when we think of salt, we think of table salt, right? And that's typically when the mashed potatoes are a little kind of bland, right? And we say, pass the salt and the pepper, right? And we, we, we just chug that salt on as much as we, we, we use salt for flavoring. So what Jesus is not saying here is saying, hey, the world is pretty bland. Spice it up a little bit, <laughs> right? Nope. Because back then, what they used salt for was actually a preservative. With no modern refrigeration, they would salt things to keep it lasting longer, right? Salt was a, a precious commodity because it helped them, you know, actually have two weeks of food. You know, we live in a day and age where, you know, food just magically appears in that refrigerator, right? Your mom and dad, just it's just there. We go to the store and we just think that magically every day the food arrives, right? We have modern refrigeration. We, we, we have so many ways to keep food fresh, and, and most of us, hopefully, I, I would assume I know most of you, you just look in your, you know, your fridge and your pantry and there's just food everywhere. But back then, it wasn't like that. And so when Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth, here, here's what he's actually saying. That you are, you, kingdom citizens, Christians, you are to be the moral and spiritual preservatives of the world. You are to be the ones who push back on the evil and darkness and the injustices that we see in the world. You are the ones who, when you see things going wrong and going south, that you are at least slowing that process down. Yes, the world will always continually to rebel against God and to follow after sin and the desires of the sinful flesh, but it is Christians who can at least preserve a little bit, who are the salt. You know, it's interesting. Um, every generation has certain sins and issues, right? Sometimes I'll hear Christians say, man, I wish we can go back to when we were in the 1960s. I just say, well, the thing is, in the 1960s, they had sins that they're working through as well. Every generation 
has, has a city on a hill to die for, has things in which they are called to be that moral preservative on. I'm going to be just very honest with you. Very honest with you. I think, by and large, the primary way Christians right now are called to be that moral preservative is in their sexual ethic. It is properly understanding how God has designed sexuality in the context of marriage to be between a man and a woman. That all sexual fulfillment is designed within a marriage that God has defined in Genesis 1. How we treat sex, how we think about it, whether it be premarital sex or any type of derision of of God's understanding of sexuality, I, I think by and large, it is Christians who should be slowing down the process of the sexual revolution. Now, I'll say that that is my opinion, but, but that's not the only way in which we are called to be the moral preservatives. The world is increasingly going rotten, but we as Christians slow that process down. So, in essence, here Jesus actually goes on and he says, if salt has lost its saltiness, its taste, how shall saltiness be restored? Now, if you're, if you're a chemist, if you know chemistry, you know that the compound NaCl, which is sodium or salt, is a very stable compound that salt actually can't become less salty. But here's what it can do. Imagine some salt falls on the ground, and you get some dirt on it, and, and they get some weeds, and so then you kind of look at this adulterated salt, and it's not really good for anything anymore. Right? Imagine salt on your dinner with just wheeze and dirt on it. You're not going to use it for that. And so back then what they would do was salt that was useless. They'd kind of use it on their paths. They'd use it on the roof of their houses where there's cracks and it's sometimes slow, the, the cracking. And so all, all it was really good for at that point was to be trampled on, to be stepped all over. In essence, Jesus is saying here, like, like how, how are you going to be productive as a Christian if your salt is just adulterated with other worldly desires. And so I, I just think for application, guys, on this point, like the question is this. Are you someone who understands that as a Christian, I am called to be someone who pushes back against all of the systems and the sins and the, and the casualty towards the faith? Are you someone who, when it comes to your parents, your teachers, your friends, do you add stress and burdens? Do, do, the, do the jokes always start going more dirty when you're around? Do, do the, the talking about people increase when you're around? Do teachers feel like you take burdens off or do you add burdens? Are you, are you someone who is pushing back against unholy thoughts and ideas and practices? Because to be salt actually means that we're preserving something. Do you preserve friendships? 
Matter of fact, how about this? Do you preserve unity? You know, this is a youth group right here. It's a collection of individual people, but at the same time, like, are you someone who actually cares about unity in the church, unity in our youth group? Jesus' words here, I mean, again, are, are, are stark compared to the world. Because the world is continuing to deteriorate, but yet those who are of a meek mindset, who hate sin, who care about what is pure and righteous, this is what they do. So I think, as for the question for you on this point is, is do I help the world be a better and holy place or, or do I not? That's the first picture. And the second picture is this, light. So first, those who follow Jesus as king, they, they, in their kingdom, they, they are salt. The second, they are the light of the world. Look down would you, would, again, would you have verse 14. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and, it's, and it gives light to all in that house. Now, I think something that we forget when Jesus is giving these words is that back then, like, they had hardly any light pollution, right? Darkness to them was terrifying. Like, without electricity, without a lot of fuel, right, they were constantly under the dark, Right, like there was one time I went camping and we were way out there, no light, so dark that I could barely even see my hand in front of me. Right, when it is that dark and you can't see where you're going, it's it's a little terrifying. And and back then, they, they I was reading a commentary and they're saying that a city could be a hundred miles away, and it's light would reflect on the clouds and it would add a little bit of hope in the midst of this stark darkness. Like that, that's, that's the kind of picture in which he's describing the people who are part of the kingdom of God. That in a very dark world, that's the implication, is it? When he says you are the light of the world, a city on a hill cannot be hidden, the implication is that the world is dark. There's not a light going on, right? But, but a Christian is someone who, man, when they walk into a room, when they are in a relationship, when they are in a job, there's something about how they live that shines into the darkness where it's, it's impossible not to see. Right? And I think, you know, we get that famous kind of kid song, right? This little light of mine. I'm going to let it shine. I won't let Satan it out. I blew that way because I don't want to blow COVID on you, right? Not that I have it. But there's a sense here, guys, again, just like when I was a, a, a fifth or sixth grader, I really liked this sync thing. But I don't want people knowing about it. And the same thing is, I wonder, how many people, if they found out, if you're a Christian, they'd be surprised. Like, oh, wow, you? You, you go to youth group? You, you go to church? 
the light of the world. Jesus is saying, whoever truly follows me is someone who is pushing back against the darkness and the sin and the injustices of the world. Think for a second. Just, just, just think. Think about the, the big cultural sins that come to your mind. Think about your schools. Think about your homes. Think about the dysfunctions that you see. Think about the hard things that you see. How do you think Jesus is calling you to let your light shine into those dark areas? You know, it's, um, it's interesting when you read history. It's historically been the Christians who have always been the lead, the lead agents of big cultural reform. Christians have led prison reform, medical care, trade unions, abolition of slavery, the abolition of child labor, Christians have been a part of the establishment of orphanages, the reform of the penal code. In all of these areas, it has always been the Christians who have spearheaded the drive for righteousness. Darkness was pushed back. You know, you think about, um, there's a guy named William Wilberforce. And uh, he was a British Parliament member. And for years and years and years and years, what did he do? Pushed against the slave trade. Where many members of his parliament benefited financially from the slave trade, he consciously stood his ground, faithfully pushing against the evil and the atrocities of the slave trade. As a matter of fact, it was the Christians who began to ban using sugar in their tea because they knew that it was supporting the slave trade. This is a good example of what it looks like for light to shine into darkness, where darkness is pushed back, where the evils and the injustices of the world become a little less because Christians these people who are meek and who have an appetite for, for righteousness and for the will of God are willing to sacrifice. And if I could just be honest with you guys for a second, I think the reason why many Christians at times don't let their light shine into the darkness, why at times Christians have kind of lost their witness, is oftentimes it's because we care more about our personal agenda and the accolades and the success of our lives more than we care about the kingdom of God. As a matter of fact, what, what is the whole point of all of this? Look what he says. Verse 16, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. You see, when your heart 
is motivated more about how can I please my heavenly father who sent his one and only son for me and not so much how can I live a good, easy, and comfortable life. We begin to be the people who have a witness to where we are the moral preservatives, to where we shine back into the darkness, where we are willing to sacrifice and carry our crosses so that people may see our good deeds and glorify our Father who is in heaven. How do we do this? What does this look like? What does it look like for you tomorrow to begin to be this person who who is the salt of the earth and who is the light of the world? Right, it's it's really it's really easy to kind of say, okay, you're right. You know, I I should you know let my light shine. Okay, I get that. All right, you know, I can probably, you know, end the, the, the silly jokes and, you know, sure. But if I'm being honest with you, not many in this room will ever probably have the influence that William Wilberforce ever had. I'm not saying never, but probably not many of us will be part of Congress one day and, and, and be headlining a bill that's going to end a lot of human misery and suffering. Maybe, I hope. But I think for most of us, the way that we can be salt and light tomorrow is by doing the right thing in a hundred small different ways. The way that we value the kingdom the way we live out the values and the norms of the kingdom, the way that we have a witness to the world is by doing oftentimes small things that are mostly overlooked over a long period of time. That being salt doesn't mean that you have to always raise your voice about the biggest things. It is simply by showing kindness to the stranger. It is by forgiving people because you have been forgiven. It is simply considering the interests of others better than yourself. It is learning to lean towards people, to move towards them in love and humility because the Lord has done the same to you. It means doing the dishes before having to be asked. Obeying your parents the first time. Praying for people without having to be asked to pray for them. It means saying no to the fleshly desires that your heart wants. You see, when when Christians understand that, that we truly have a witness, that we, guys, listen, how we live our lives on a day to day basis, on a moment to moment basis, reflects our king, reflects Jesus. If someone were to follow you around the next seven days and they observed how you talked and what you did, would they be more inclined to say, this person is different than most people? So one, how do we do this? We commit to small things that are overlooked, but two, how do we really begin to get on with having a Christian witness that is compelling, that is meaningful, where the world notices? 
Consider what Jesus says here in John chapter 8. John chapter 8, verse 12, this is what Jesus says. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. You see, guys, if I'm being honest, I think some of us here will never actually have a Christian witness because we've maybe never actually have experienced true fellowship with Christ. If you have no concern whatsoever about glorifying the Lord Jesus Christ, you don't know him. If if there's a sense in which you are just constantly thinking about your kingdom and your world and what people think of you and not thinking about Jesus' kingdom and what people are thinking of him, this light that he talks about is not in you. And what happens is when when you become a Christian, when you truly bow the knee to King Jesus, where you swear off every other allegiance, including allegiance to myself, and you make Jesus not just the savior of your sins, but truly the Lord of your life, the king above all else. When you say, I will follow Jesus, what begins to happen is that his light shines into our dark hearts. Because if I'm being honest here, I am not always salt. I sometimes add to the moral corruption of the world and not to the preservation of it. If I'm being honest, sometimes in my Christian witness and how I act and the things I do, I sometimes add more darkness than light. It's true for all of us. And we can feel really guilty about that, but but here is the great thing about our King Jesus as he is full of infinite grace and mercy. And the more we come to Jesus in honest confession and humility, and the more we come and we learn from him and he teaches us, and and the more we love him, here's what begins to happen. His light transforms us. The gospel changes us. It truly changes us. And do you know what it changes us to do? To be the people who hate evil, who hate perversion. We become the people who love holiness and righteousness and we desire to follow God and to be the kind of people who, man, that person is different. And so practically, on a day-to-day basis, this looks like small things, but on a more robust understanding of the gospel, we know that it's not just me trying to go out there, I better be salt, I better be light, but actually what it is is that when I truly know Jesus and I'm following him and I'm swearing off all the other allegiances, his light is shining through me. And so, guys, I just, I just want to ask you, what, what does your public faith look like? What does it say about Jesus? I would ask your parents about your faith. What, what would they say? Is there a growing of being more and more light and salt?
Let me read it one more time for us. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. This week, as you go about your businesses, goes about your jobs, whatever it is, don't forget that Jesus is the light of life. And to those who are in him, those who follow King Jesus, they must have a faith that is noticeable to the world. That they are salt of the earth and the light of the world. Let's pray. Jesus, help us to be salt and light to a world that is so desperate for it. God, may these students have a ministry to the world in which they can become witnesses to the glory and to the honor of your great name. God, in the moments where we fail to do this, help us to repent, help us to, help us to cling to the cross. But Lord, we pray as we draw close to you each day that you transform our hearts and our lives to bring the ministry of Jesus to all people. We pray this in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen.